word to you guys this morning in a way that I believe is going to help you understand a little bit more about the God that created you. And not only the God that created you, but the God that wants to have a mature relationship with you. I think that's why he calls us to what we, the word that we use, discipleship, right? The word discipleship, it means that you're a learner and you're a student. And one of the reasons why we do that is that we learn about this God that wants to be with us and then how he can relate to us. And I know that we relate to each other according, in large part, due to our primary and secondary love languages, and then we learn how to listen to other people's love language, even though maybe it sounds kind of foreign to us. But you know, we are created in the image of God. And so if God gave us this ability to communicate love, we know that He has that ability to, to communicate love. And we learn very early on in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that when God created us in His image, that He created us to do stuff that He does. So He gave us the ability to create, make more life, right? Human beings can do that. That God gave us, that He invited us in and said, I am a life maker, I am a life creator. You come in and join me in life creation. We also know that God is a ruler with authority and power. And He invited humanity into that. And He, and he gave them in the garden, He gave us stewardship and power and authority over all other things and man when you start thinking about God saying come and do God's stuff that's crazy when you think about that right I mean what if Mike Trout came to some of these kids and said, come do Mike Trout stuff I mean amen to that if we have some kids running around here that can go do you know Mike Trout stuff then that would be that'd be great we might have a young guy that can do Carlos Santana stuff one of these days. You know, we, <laughs> we might have one of those. But wouldn't that be amazing? But God coming and saying, come do God's stuff. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Come do God's stuff. And I want you to feel invited today. I want you to be invited by your creator to step into a relationship with him and go do God's stuff. And as we do that, I want you to experience God as love. And God communicates himself to us in all of the love languages. All of them are primary to him. And they're all throughout the scriptures. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you with this title in mind. Mature love is complicated. Isn't it? <laughs> Mature love. Now childlike love, like little kind of childlike love is immature. We like you as long as you're doing and giving me what I want. Um, it's a very surface level, very conditional, uh, very flaky, um, not very committed. It's just immature love. Even we, call it, we might call that infatuation, right? And there was another word for it that Dr. Chapman used, Craig. Do you remember what that, was it obsession? Yeah, when he said that when we fall in love, sometimes the first two years, it lasts about two years, and it's, it's like an, it's, it's, a, it's an obsession, okay? We're kind of obsessed with the person, but we're not in love with them. And that obsession can last, you know, up to about two years. I used to call it infatuation, so I get those, I guess they're kind of inter interrelated there. They're, when you're not in love, you're just infatuated with a person. Um, or, um, even more immature place than that is you're not in love, you're in lust. That's, that, that's, a, that's probably most immature um, adult love language, right, would be just, it's just lust. It's, it's not love at all. But mature love could be very complicated 
because we want to love our children, we want to love each other as church family, we want to love our neighbor as Jesus called us to do. We have to love the un, sometimes those that seem unlovable, and sometimes we are that person, right? So love can get very complicated. And so right at the beginning, I want to show you in a very familiar passage of Scripture, one thing that we can do in trying to understand difficult things is to go to a very well-known kind of place where we can all feel kind of comfortable and then dig around in there for a minute. So by way of introduction, before we get to the, um, how God displays the five love languages, I want to talk to you for a minute about a very, very important, very common, probably memorized passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13, where we read this, and I'm sure you got it all memorized. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, as, even as I have been fully known. F so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. And if you've ever been in Hobby Lobby, you've seen 1 Corinthians 13, 13 everywhere. It's everywhere, you know, and now that the farm kind of thing is in, it's all over these little pieces of wood and all that stuff. And yes, we bought into the farm idea. Yes, I have gray tile floor that looks like distressed wood. Yes, that's my floor. Yes. Okay, so, so we're into the whole like farm thing. We're full send into redoing the floors with gray distressed wood-like tile. But when we look at this very familiar passage of Scripture, I want to set for you the context, because the context will help us understand the, deep, the depth of it. In chapter 12, he's talking about the spiritual gifts. All these ways that you guys are amazing. All these ways that God has invited you in to do God's stuff. All through chapter 12. And then when we get into chapter 13, at the beginning of chapter 13, he says, but if you don't have love, but you have all these gifts, but you don't have love, you're just like a noisy cymbal. You're just like that kid banging away on the drum set at the cymbals, one after another after another, and how long can you take that? Not very long. We have a piano in our home, and it all of a sudden got a lot louder with a tile floor. And when my grandbabies come over and it's this, I'm like, Lord Jesus, Brant, Heather, take the piano. Just get it, just take the whole thing. We can, I can deal with it for a little bit because they're cute and they're mine. Other kids do it, it gets annoying a lot faster. Sorry, I'm human. A little more biased towards my own. And we all are, right? We all are. Part of this weirdness by the way that we love. And so you're amazing, chapter 12. But if you exercise all of your amazingness without love, then you're just like that noisy, irritating pain on the piano, banging on the cymbals. And that's when Paul says, well, hey, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but I'm going to give up childish ways. So in the context of trying to figure out how amazing you are with all these gifts that God has given you, but then realizing that I have to exercise those gifts in love, and I need to throw out immature thinking about who I am and about how to love, I have to grow up. So verse 12 tells us and gives us the mature perspective on love. If you ever want to know what is the mature perspective of love, it is verse 12. Where he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So as you grow up and start to understand love, you understand that we're squinting at this. It's like, what? I cannot, it's foggy in here. It's hard to see. It's hard to understand. There's a lot going on, a lot of complication as far as love. 
Maybe something happened in your adult, young, young, pre-adult years that distorted love, made it weird, flipped it upside down. Maybe someone said, oh, I love you, and then they, they treated you in a very unloving way. So love gets very foggy. And oh boy, as teenagers, is it ever foggy. Your body's changing, you got new feelings, you got new thoughts, you don't know what's going on. You're lost. But then there's that cute girl sitting next to you in biology class. You don't even know what's all going on in here, but you know you like that. I think I love her. No, you don't. You might later. So a mature view of love starts with a thing going, hey, i got to slow down. I don't know everything. When you get married, you understand, I don't know everything about this person. I've got a lot to learn. That is a very mature position to say, I've got a lot to learn about love. Another very important part of this idea of maturing is this. Knowing that in the future, but then face to face. So he says, for now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Well, what's then? Eternity, when we step into heaven. When we, when we shed this body of ours and we step in there, we're going to fully, so when will you figure it out? When we're in heaven and we can see God face to face. When we can see Jesus face to face. That's when we figure out all the theology. Some of you walk into my office and you're like, good night, pastor. Did you read all these? At some point, yes. Been at this for 30 some, 31 years. So, But all these systems and all these things and all that stuff. After reading, I don't know how many hundreds of books are in there. There's a few hundred in there. After reading all that, I still go, now hold it. <laughs> you read something in the Bible and you're like, wait, wait a minute. Where does this fit in all these things? So a mature view is to understand that we still have more to learn. That we can still change perspectives. That we can still change ideas. And there's a lot going on that you and I don't understand. But we're going to fully understand when we see Jesus face to face. And not until then. Until then, I've got a lot to learn. And he says, now I know in part. Same thing. But then he goes, then I shall fully know. But then there's this last piece of verse 12. Even as I have been fully known. So Paul says, you got all these gifts. You're wonderful, chapter 12. Chapter 13, let's talk about love. And the most important thing we need to understand about love is let's grow up. Because verses 1 through 11, 1 through 10 are telling you what love is. All those, you know, love is joy, peace, pain, all those. Oh, that's a fruit of the Spirit, Pastor. But those other things that are all over Hobby Lobby. Love is patient, kind, all those things that are in there. You read it for yourself. See, I don't know everything. Don't have the Bible memorized. But when you look at this description of love, and then he goes into this, he says, but by the way, if I'm so gifted and love is all this, but I have ditched the childish way of thinking, and I understand that I don't know everything, and I can't see everything clearly, but verse 12 says, even as I have been fully known, so I want you to know that you've always been known. You don't know everything, but somebody knows all of you. You can't see everything, but there's one that can see all of you. And that's God. So we are moving into a future where we will eventually know it all. 
where we eventually will see God for who He is in plain as day. But right now, He sees you like that. So you're in this position where you say to yourself, I don't know everything, but He does. I don't see everything, but He does. I don't even know myself as well as I thought. You might have learned something new about yourself this weekend in studying the five love languages. You might have learned something new about the person that you've been married to for a long time. So, but I want you to know that as you embark upon this idea of love, that though you don't know everything, someone knows you that does. With that in mind, we look at this one overall thought. Receiving God's love through faith and hope. Now, I've just made an executive decision concerning this sermon that you're going to benefit from. Just in this moment, I've decided that I'm only going to give you about half of what's left, and we'll save the rest for next week, because looking at my notes, we don't want to be here that long. Okay? So I've just made an executive decision that this has become part one. Next week will be part two. I didn't need a committee. Sorry, board, I didn't need your opinion on that. I just made that decision for myself, and everybody's happy with the pastor because you get half. So receiving God's love through faith and hope. Let's start with the words of affirmation, and there's two passages of Scripture that we're going to dive into, though we can dive into a bunch of them, right? So the context is, you're amazing, you're gifted, but if you use all of your gifts without love, you're just like a noisy cymbal and a banging on piano, and that's not good. So let's grow up and realize we don't have it all down. And know that we are living in faith and hope Meaning that God is now looking, and He's the only one that knows everything, okay? But we are exercising faith and hope. By the way, bonus thought, since I'm only giving you half, faith and hope will not reside in heaven. Only love will. Now we need faith. Faith is described in the Bible in the book of Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. So we're still hoping also hope, there is no reason for hope for heaven because all has been realized and all of, all of God's promises have been fulfilled and it's all there available and we are living within the promises of the world, of God, not the promises of the world. That's a disaster. I was driving, I was making the short drive from, church, from my home to church and I love that it's a short drive nowadays. But I was making that drive and I said, Lord, the, the, the world is just not a fun place. It's just not a fun place right now. There's just so much stuff going on that I don't approve of, that I don't like, that I don't care for. It just seems to be a growing disaster around here, God. But what do I know? I don't know much. I see through a dim dim glass. My glasses are dirty today, God. I don't see everything. And I just kind of had a moment where I was thankful that I will be with him and my eternity will be longer than my life here and that my eternity of knowing and being in God's presence without the mess will make this seem like a distant memory. And I was thankful for that. And that helps me enjoy what I do love to enjoy. Because I can look at this world that's a disaster, and I can exercise faith, and I can exercise hope, because there's one that does know everything, and even though I don't, I can exercise faith, and I can exercise hope, because there's one that knows me better than I know myself. So now I'm free, right? Because there's one that knows, and that's God. And I'll leave all the knowing to Him. And I'll exercise faith, hope, and I'll enjoy all the wonderful things. I'll enjoy you. I'll enjoy being here, pastoring this church, and having my two grand, grandsons. I'll enjoy all this stuff, even though I look at the world and go, wow, what a mess. But I can enjoy myself. I can sit around the table with loved ones. I can enjoy a football game later on today. Go Rams. And the world can be spinning out of control, but I can rest, and you can rest, because we have one that knows everything. 
And that one that knows everything is talking to us and giving us our words of affirmation. And notice, many times when God gives us these words of affirmation, the two passages that I want to bring to your attention today as far as words of affirmation go are both in the context of when they were receiving punishment for wrongdoing, for constant rebellion and for constant rejection of God's plan in their life and constant worship of other things. But notice as God is punishing them and disciplining them for their constant rebellion, notice what he says. He says to them in Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. That's what he says when you're in trouble. (laughs) That's what he says when he looks at you and goes, oh, you did it again. And now you get to pay the price again. But I'm with you. And you're mine. And I'm upholding you by my righteous right hand. In other words, the right hand is the symbol of authority. So he's saying, though you've done it again, I'm right here with you. And I'm going to shape you up. I'm not going to ship you out, as the saying goes, right? But when you are in trouble, God speaks his love for you with words of affirmation that you're still his, that he's still with you, that he's still guiding you, he's still exercising his authority in your life, you're still his, he'll get you where you need to go. Because you're the one that understands dimly, and he's the one that understands all. Another passage of scripture is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and that again is all over everywhere, isn't it? A very common. We even looked at it a couple of weeks back. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. As I spent years in Christian education on the Christian high school level, um, seniors got these things. They were called senior sweatshirts, and they would always put a verse on the back. And um, some of the boys would come with all kinds of crazy scriptures that they threatened to put on there. Like if you sin, go poke your eyes out. That's the one they were going to put on there of all things, right? <laughs> and Judas went and hung himself. Um, all these like weird passages. These boys, and, and they never did it. Thank you, Jesus. They always came up with one that was pretty plain. And most of them would go with this. And what they would do a lot of times when they looked at Jeremiah 29, 11 is they kind of looked at it as, as I enter college, I need to know this. And that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool for a teenager at 16, 17, 18 years old to go, wait a minute, I'm going I'm going to leave my home, I'm going to leave high school, I'm going to go into college, and I need to fear not for God's going to be with me. As he molds me and shapes me in the next four years of my life, as I enter this educational um, endeavor to earn a college degree, I think God spoke this to many, many, many high school students and telling them, fear not for my plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hmm. And so many children today, so many teenagers are looking at our world and saying, I don't know if I want to go off into this with you. I think I would rather stay a kid because you guys got a lot of problems. There's a lot of messes. And when a kid, a teenager looks at the adult world, sometimes they say, no, thank you. And sometimes that last semester of high school is absolute torture. Oh, they won't tell you. They'll, they'll, tell, they'll tell you they're excited. They'll tell you they can't wait. They'll have senioritis. They'll be done with putting up with freshmen all around them everywhere. But inside, they're terrified because they're looking at your world. And they're saying, I'm not sure the adults of my gener- that are a generation ahead of me have it figured out. And I am absolutely scared to death. 
I can't tell you how many quiet moments I've, I've shared with high school students along that time. When I walk up to them on campus, are you excited to graduate? Ms. Trobs, I am. I don't want to have to be here anymore with bells and homework and all that. I'm just ready. But can I tell you, I'm really scared too. Oh, yeah, because it's scary out there. I know. <laughs> and I took it upon myself as a high school Bible teacher to teach them the realities of what was the next step in their life. And it gave them assurance to know that people can make it. But here in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, these people again were being punished. And as they were being punished, God says, listen, I'm not here to destroy you. It feels like it. I'm not. And why would God have to say this? Because so oftentimes we want to believe the opposite. You want to believe that your mistakes have taken you out. That God no longer loves you, that God no longer cares for you, God no longer has a plan for you. But as he punishes you and disciplines you and gets rid of that garbage in your life, he wants to share with you right now, I got you, you're mine. Hmm. So God, most of the time, it's when we've been at our worst. Also, we know that another love language is quality time. Quality time. God wants to be with you. Spend time with you. He already knows you. A lot of times we spend the time with each other to get to know each other, right? Well, He already knows everything. So God in the most purest form just says, I simply want to be with you. Well, why? To be with you. Well, what do you want? To be with you. Well, what are we going to do? Be together. Where are we going to go? I'll tell you later. We're going to... He has no other agenda. I think that's why we don't really know what heaven is like. Because it's not the what it's like is not the point. Now, if you want to know what it's like, read Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. Very good. Very exciting. Kind of, man, this is powerful. It's kind of a big book, but have at you. It'll be a good, good read. All these streets of gold. I don't know about you. But I'm asking God, hey, God, of all these streets of gold, can you have some made out of dirt? That'd be like really like fun for me. I don't know about biking on streets of gold. Can, you have, can I have some dirt paths somewhere? This would be like amazing. And a street of gold going along a creek doesn't sound like it's going to match to me, God. So we get a creek and we, got the, and we have the people that want gold. I want, I want dirt roads. So heaven for me would be some, some dirt paths. <laughs> Go. Hey. Now that, gold dust, that'd be sweet. <laughs> so notice that these passages of Scripture, Revelation 3.20. Now I know that another one, I'm bringing you all these very, 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 very popular passages of Scripture, right? Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this. Now notice, he says it to a church who he is not very happy with. Because this is part of the message to the seven churches in Asia. And so when Jesus wasn't happy with this church, notice he's speaking to a church. That's what most people miss when they look at this, is they think it's a, a passage of Scripture, but it's okay to think of it that way, kind of. They think it's a passage that we use when we talk about someone that has never known Jesus, has never given their life to Jesus. We say, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking, right? We, okay, that's okay. So that, that's, that's there. But a more contextual idea is that Jesus is standing outside of the church, knocking on the church's door. 
Could you imagine? We've locked them out. That's what Jesus feels like in reference to this church in Revelation 3. He's telling this church, um, excuse me, I'm outside and you have shut the door. And I'm knocking on the door of your church saying, hey, excuse me, if you let me in, if you would open the door. He says, if you would open the door. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice, in other words, he's knocking, hello. Like my friend Caleb that knocks on my door. <laughs> it's funny when he does he's a, he, he cracks me up that kid knocking on the door if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me and what does eating mean it doesn't mean sitting down and watching the game and you know, eating a hamburger real quick as you're, no that, that's not it it's not driving through a drive through and grabbing a burger and eating as you're commuting off to your next thing Remember in the Bible, Jews eating with Gentiles was like a massive problem, right? The Jews wouldn't sit down for a meal with a Gentile because they were seen as out of covenant with God. Because eating a meal with someone is sharing life together. And one of the reasons, one of the methods by which they displayed their togetherness in a meal was they committed the horrible outrageously unacceptable act of double dipping I guess I mean they weren't afraid of a virus I don't I'm sorry I shouldn't have gone there but they they would like double dip every and it's like that is disgusting I know because I take my little bread I take a bite of it and I stick it right back in there and you take a bite of yours and you stick and I'm like hey can I have my own dish I don't even want to share a bite with my kids, my grandkids, or my wife. Doesn't that just take the whole thing? And we're good. It's all yours. I'll eat later. And not only are they doing that kind of activity, but most of the time they were laying around a table on pillows. Just laying there, double dipping. Sharing life. You come over to my house, we're not laying on the floor and double dipping. No. We sit at the table, you have your plate, I have mine, keep your business over there. But Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to the door of your church. You've got all this activity going on in there. You've got music going on, you've got sermons, you've got child care, you've got conferences and workshops. But meanwhile, I'm out here <laughs> banging on the door. Sometimes i got to look at that passage and say, Lord, who am I focused on when we're here like this? Are you here? Are you in here? Or we left you outside? And Jesus says, if you let me in, I'll double dip with you. I'll lay down at your table and just kind of be with you. We'll just be here. I don't even care what you serve. I think they would have even double dipped guacamole, which is nasty. Again, take the disgusting and you're ruining the Super Bowl if you eat that nonsense today. <laughs> ah. Mm, look through that. So this quality time. And why does Jesus keep showing up and speaking his love language when we're in trouble? 
to a nation in the Old Testament that was rebellious and worshiping other things. God comes and says, I'm going to have to discipline you for this. I'm going to have to punish you for this. And you're going to think, it's going to be so bad that you're going to think I don't love you anymore. And it's going to be so bad that you think, you think I've abandoned you. But I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to be here. And I love you. And yes, discipline is hard. And yes, punishment does seem harsh. That's because sin robs you of everything. And the reason why people have such a hard time with God's punishment is because we don't understand the severity of sin. We have taken grace and cheapened it and redefined sin as something that just everybody kind of does. Sin is detestable to God. God cannot, because of his holiness, be in the presence of sin. So as we participate in a sinful lifestyle, God says, I love you, but I can't. I can't be in that. So I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to discipline you, and you're going to think that I hate you. But what you're going to come to understand is that sin robs you of everything. And I love you so much that I will show you the ugliness of sin and bring you right out of it and I'm realizing that he has to speak as these love languages to us and say, I affirm you, and I want to be with you, and I'm knocking on the door, and I'm screaming your name, and I want to come in and double dip and lay down at your table. If you'd let him in. If you would choose to say, I would rather be with the one that knows me well. I would rather be with my creator who invites me in to do creator stuff. I'd rather be with you than live in my sin. And that's the choice that we all have to make. Because he's pounding on the door, he's yelling your name, he's speaking words of affirmation, he's speaking quality time. And you just need to make the mature decision and understand that we are to receive God's love through faith and hope. 